Hello, and welcome to the Rooted in Reliability podcast, your plant performance podcast, where we dive deeper into asset management techniques and know-how. I'm your host, James Kovacic, and I will be your guide to achieving industry best practice. The Rooted in Reliability podcast is here to provide you with the insights to improve plant performance and deliver bottom line results to your organization. In case you missed the last episode, you can find the Rooted in Reliability podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and on the reliability.fm network. Don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. Now let's dive into today's topic. It is my pleasure to welcome Bill Leahy back to the podcast. Welcome back, Bill. Hey, James. Thank you for having me. Well, Bill, you're currently senior instructor with Iridicio, and you've been on quite a few podcasts in the past. You know, we talked about leadership, team building, a bunch of those great topics. You know, you've had pat- various experience in industry. You're also an officer in the Army previously. What else can you tell us about yourself from that very brief introduction? Well, that just about covers it. Um, yeah, experience in industry, uh, did the Army thing for a while, and um, now working with the Iridicio for the last three years, uh, continuing the education uh, with an MBA at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, and um, just doing as much as I can to keep on improving and helping people along. All right. Excellent. So what I wanted to talk to you today about is should organizations build up an RE or reliability engineer internally, or should they hire externally for, to fill those roles? I've heard a lot of on both sides. I want to get your opinion on it. Um, but before we dive into it, what is a reliability engineer? What a great question. So, um, reliability engineer, I see it as someone that focuses on the future and strategy with physical asset management. So they're looking to continuously improve uh, the maintenance program and how we get the most out of our production assets. Um, Yeah, and it it is really, in the Army we called it, uh, there was two different types of operations. There was foo ops and coo ops, which is future operations and current operations. Uh, and they were split that way between one person is managing the day-to-day battlefield and the other is looking at the more strategic aspect of combat and uh, forecasting out. And uh, that is what I see uh, reliability engineer as, is they're looking to the future, um, evaluating the battlefield and gathering intelligence to make good sound decisions on where we should be going. All right. Excellent. Now you kind of alluded to it, but what does the reliability engineer really do on a day-to-day basis? Yeah. They, they're the ones that are looking at the data. Um, they're in constant communication with the people on the floor because they need to understand what is happening. Um, and this is an interesting question because uh, the task organization of uh you know, all the different people we work with can be, I mean, they're all different and what they call each other and the positions that they have. Um, But the reliability engineer liaises between all those different positions with the people executing the plans on the floor and getting feedback uh, constantly on how they can make it better. Um, Pulling the data, uh, looking, looking at that and identifying trends, uh, reevaluating, uh, the maintenance plans that they have, optimizing the PMs, working with the planners to schedule, just kind of all of it. Um, 
making sure that we stay within the boundaries that we've, we've set up. All right. Excellent. Now, in your experience, what type of education and background do REs typically have? So this is another unique one uh, to reliability engineers because there is no real prerequisite for that title. Uh, it can be someone that, it, that came up through the trades um, and it doesn't need uh, any checked boxes for formal education, uh, but they can just possess the right attributes uh, and motivation to do the job. Uh, or you can have people that have um, come through the ranks of, of typical academia and they have a, a degree or master's degree in mechanical engineering. I mean, there's, there's really no specific type of education that you need. Uh, you just need a, a, a solid understanding of how these things work, but uh, you can get that from a variety of different sources. Yeah, and I think that's one of the challenges with answering this question is, should you hire or build up an RE internally? Is that there, for the most part, there isn't somewhere where you can go to school and learn all these things and become a reliability engineer. Now, that's changing a little bit, but historically, that hasn't been the case. Um, there's no defined requirements to become a reliability engineer. So I think that causes some of the problems of, well, do we build them up internally? Do we hire externally? Um because some of the best ones I know don't even come from an engineering background. They have a statistics background. Yeah. So yeah. it's, it's definitely one of those things that becomes a challenge when we're trying to decide this, I think. I, I think it's almost a benefit for, for hiring internally because it, it really, it, it doesn't limit your talent pool on who you can pull from. I mean, it, it really opens up a whole different uh, group of people because I, I just don't have to look at the salaried side uh, all hourly people are eligible for the position as well. Um, I mean, we have our IBL offerings, as you know, and, and that is typically the way um, we push people to developing reliability engineers. And it doesn't matter where they come from. So the, the people they can select from uh, is much larger, which is really, really beneficial for hiring internally. It does. But it also provides an opportunity for a lot of different backgrounds. Um, and when you have two or three or four REs working together, all coming from very different backgrounds and experiences, it just makes what we come up with that much more robust, I think. Oh, no, you're, you're absolutely right on that. Um, one, of the, one of the issues that managers have when they hire is they, they tend to want to hire people like themselves. Uh, and that really limits diversity and um, perspective within the organization. So uh, you're, you're right. Again, it, it really uh, can change the, the lens that we look at the world through by involving these uh, different people from different backgrounds. Absolutely. Now, where does one get reliability engineer training, um, regardless if they're hired externally or built up internally? Where, where do organizations and people turn for this type of training, typically? Uh, yeah, it, it, it's such a unique position. Um, you know, ideally, you would want uh, a mentor and a group of other people around you at your company that um, can help build you up. But a, a lot of times uh, it's an isolated pursuit. Um, I mean, you're a great example of it. I don't think I've met uh, anyone as well read as you in this stuff. Um, uh, I'd say that's, that's one of the biggest sources. Uh, for me, I'm more of a traditional training type guy. Um, so coming up, I, I sought schools and uh, courses and that kind of thing that um, 
really kind of provided the structure that I needed. Uh, but I don't, I, I, again, it's one of, the, one of the unique things with reliability engineering is there is no set way in which you can do this. It's, uh, it's really unique. All right. Yeah, I think, you know, there's always a combination of what you need. You need some structured learning. Maybe that's a couple of three or four day classes. Maybe it's something like our IBL process. Maybe it's going to a school that has a certificate program in that type of thing. Um, plus, there's got to be some self-motivation to learn this stuff and keep up with a lot of the stuff that's going on with maintenance, reliability, asset management, all those great things. Um, now, with that being said, should organizations hire an RE externally to the company or should they build one up internally? I, I was I was on the fence on this one when you when you first brought it up. I was I was seeing the the um, cost and benefits to, to both of them. Uh, but then after doing some research and talking with people uh, and HR professionals specifically, uh, the benefits to hiring internally drastically outweigh that of seeking people outside of the company. Um, and just, I'm, I'm going to throw a couple stats at you from Harvard Business Review that I found uh, really telling when it comes to this. Is that uh, after talking with a lot of uh, professionals and HR and other things, um, I came across some really good statistics that uh, kind of pushed me towards the staying internal. Uh, and one of them from the Harvard Business Review, uh, a study that they cited was external hires have a higher voluntary and involuntary separation rate uh, by about 61%. You'll find that they are more likely to leave or get fired. Huh, that is a major, major increase. Yeah. Uh, and then on top of that, um, so if, if you're wanting, like, the two things I consider when I'm, when I'm talking about hiring people is I want to look at what's the performance going to be and what is it going to cost me down the road, right? So if I, can, if I can look at both of those and say these are both beneficial to me. Uh, so, again, so hiring externally, you're looking at, on average, an 18% higher salary that you have to pay these people than hiring internally. That's interesting. That it's if you're going to hire externally, you generally got to pay about eighteen percent more. Why yeah. is that? Do you have any idea? Yeah, it, a lot of it has to do with the the, the current culture that we're out there. Like um, the, the accessibility you have to other people's talent is uh, it, it's different than any other time in history. I mean, you can go on LinkedIn and you can shop for people, right? Uh, so the tendency is if you're pulling someone from, if it's a lateral transfer, if it's RE to RE, there has to be some incentive to get them from one place to another, right? Because it's disruptive uh, taking a new position, you're moving and uprooting your family and doing these things. There has to be an incentive there. And oftentimes that comes in the form of an increased salary. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And then, all right. So, so here's my last statistic for you. This, this one I found, uh, like I said, cost and performance are two of the most important things. And I found this one to be remarkable because I thought one of the things that was pushing me towards uh, we need to develop REs was that performance is so important as we want to get things, uh, get contributors right away. Um, but what the, what the research actually indicates is that uh, workers that are promoted within uh, have better performance evaluations 
for the initial first two years. And that is if they, uh, and that is including like the people that are leaving uh, at a higher rate uh, that are hired externally. So you can actually expect performance to be better from people that are hired internally, regardless of experience. Ah, oh, that is very interesting. That is very, very interesting. Yeah, and I'll make sure I'll make sure I give you the uh, the citations for this for this information for people that are that uh, their heads are exploding right now. All right, excellent. We'll make sure to put those in the show notes for us. So you're a firm believer that we should hire internally, correct? I am, and, and there's. So those are the statistics that led me to that, uh, and I started doing some thinking. I'm like, okay, what are the what are the real benefits to hiring internally? Uh, cost effectiveness, we cited that, um, but then there's some of the cultural things uh, that are also you know always extremely important to the difficult stuff. Uh, but hiring internally raises morale, for one thing. Uh, when you're giving people opportunities and training them from within the organization, that sends a clear message that you are invested in them. Uh, it makes management look good uh, in, in a couple different aspects. One is that we want to develop our own people. Uh, and another is that it's saying that we are doing a good job of developing our people. I mean, I, I could almost use it as a metric of uh, effective management saying that, are you able to hire from within uh, based on the development strategies that you have in place, right? Uh, another one is it provides incentives for people to get uh, excited and to seek more training and uh, positions of greater responsibility. Um, uh, there's a ripple effect to it. Uh, when one person gets promoted from within, that brings an opportunity for someone else that they can fill a new position and so on and so forth. So there's, it, I, I, like I said, when I, when I came into this, I, I was feeling that uh, there was pros and cons both ways, but there's uh, the amount of evidence that I've found and the more I've thought about it, um, I, I think the best place to turn uh, is internally when looking for new reliability engineers or really people in any position. This podcast is brought to you by Iridicio. Be sure to check out iridicio.com for a free copy of their ebook, A Smarter Way of Preventative Maintenance. This ebook will allow you to review your current maintenance program and eliminate the non-value-added work you're doing which is most likely causing you more downtime than it is preventing. www.iridicio.com Yeah, I think for the most part, I, I'm going to agree with you. And I say the most part because, you know, I have some past experience where, you know, individuals have only been in one organization for, you know, however long their career has been. They've never seen other ways of doing things or how op organizations operate differently. And it, I find sometimes they don't ever break that paradigm. So by bringing in some outside people, we get a different perspective. We get some different experience, those types of things. So I think there's that disadvantage if we keep internally, inter promote internally only. Um, but I have to agree that there are a lot more benefits um, to growing them internally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's also higher from the outside when you're talking about the cultural pieces. It's a roll of the dice, too. Right. Yes. You don't know what you're going to get. Um, yeah. So my my comeback for that, which I, I fully agree with what your statement about bringing in new ideas and uh, breaking the mold. Um, but yeah, you you just don't know what you get, and I've I've seen it cut both ways, and it's uh, it's it's really unfortunate when you bring someone in and they they don't meet the expectations that we set forward. It's um, it's a it's a difficult thing for everybody because. 
it, it's hard for them if they if they can't make the adjustment. Um, you know, yeah. that's, that's never a good thing. You don't want to you don't want people to get um, to uproot their lives in order to just come somewhere and uh, have it be a failure. Um, yeah, absolutely. So. I think if you are going to hire people internally and we'll stick with that for moving forward, um, we just need to make sure we introduce some sort of dynamics that allow them to get exposure to the way things are done outside, whether that's conferences, external training, um, just some way to create that awareness of what else is going on and how else things might be done. Um, if we can do that in a great way, then by all means, I, I'm going to agree. Internal is the way to go. Uh, no, that's a, what you just said is brilliant. Um, I agree with it completely. Uh, one of the big benefits that we have um, when we do the public IBL kickoffs, uh, as you're aware, you bring people in uh, from all these different organizations across manufacturing, uh, and they get to see the way other people are doing things. And it's, it, it's really remarkable watching them go through this experience and saying that, wow, there is another way to do things that are just uh, exposure to that. It, it, it's really a, a cool thing to see. Yeah. And on the flip side, I actually did a workshop at a conference recently and there was a guy from a company that takes care of uh, railroad equipment. So not the locomotives, but you know, the crossing arms, the switch yards, all those types of things. And I had, he was partnered up with someone. I can't remember if it was from food or wood products or someone. And at the end of the brief conversation they had, he's like, you know what? When he mentioned he was from this industry and I'm being from this industry, I would have thought nothing would be the same. We have the exact same problems, but we're approaching it in two different ways. Yeah. And he's like, it was just floored by that. And I think having those conversations, creating those opportunities to learn about different ways of doing things, different viewpoints, I think that's critical to get getting a well-rounded RE. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, it's, uh, you know, what a... It, it, it's just a really cool thing to see. No, there's no other way to put it. You're right. Now, since we decided we want to hire or hire or build up an internal RE, how do we do that? Is it a structured training? Is it mentorship? Is it they got to go read some books and then they start doing some stuff? How do we build them up? Um, the most important thing you can do is know what your objectives are. I mean, this comes back to whether they are successful or not is completely dependent on, uh, I would say, this is a personal opinion, but the management and the things they put in place to develop this person. Um, oftentimes, like when we're hiring people, we ask, oh, what is your five-year plan? Uh, but we never consider what the company's five-year plan is, how these people fit into it. But, uh, addressing that and knowing what we're going to do with them uh, and fulfilling their need for the, the satisfaction of contributing to the overall goals, developing ourselves, um, being cared for and having a relationship with managers and bosses is what's going to uh, really drive the benefits of having someone internally and that new position that's going to uh, affect change and make things better. Yeah, so we need to make sure they have those those things within those things in front of them, they have those objectives, the goals, we're supporting them properly. But even if we do that, isn't there a piece around knowledge or skills that we got to develop? Oh yeah. And, and that's, uh, and that's part of the, the, the plan that I was talking about the objectives. Okay. Um, yeah, we, we have to, there has to be a, a development plan in place that has very specific performance goals that include the training and development of that person. Um, 
Yeah, no, you, that, that is a, a very key aspect of it is uh, the continuous development of our, our skill set. Because a lot of times they're going to go to a place or we hire an RE. This is the first time this position has ever been filled. Uh, so there's no internal model or template for this individual that just got promoted into it or hired externally uh, to execute against. So in, when you're developing something by yourself in a vacuum, uh, it can be very discouraging and, and difficult. And that is part of the reason why you see a lot of groups having difficulty hanging on to young engineering talent is because they're not getting um, developed in a manner that uh, meets their needs, both as people and as professionals. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's where, you know, have a, having that structured training process where, you know, it's formalized training there's some on the job training there's some coaching mentoring i think you need all as all those aspects in place with those objectives like you said in that plan to not only here's what here's the tools but how are you going to apply them where are you going to apply them and getting that feedback so we're developing that skill and competency over time i think is critical when we decide to build up an re internally yeah no it, that's it it's just the one of the reasons people leave companies or one of the major contributors to why people leave is they don't have that relationship with their managers or the people that should be their mentors. Um, cause they're not looking after the training. They're not looking after the, uh, the goals and the performance of these people. So they can often become discouraged and leave. Yep. Absolutely. Now we've talked uh, quite a bit about some of the advantages and you had some great stats there for building up REs internally. What are some of the disadvantages or maybe not disadvantages, but cautions we have to be aware of? I know you called out the one, if we don't have a good development plan, young engineering talent may, may leave. But what are some of the other major disadvantages or watch outs we got to be aware of? Um, uh, like I said, the role is in some instances not defined at all. Okay, so there is there's no person that is teaching um, this new individual what the role looks like and how it should be. And if they don't know uh, what the resources are, where to go to get this information. Um, I mean, we can lose valuable time and we can uh, really turn what could be a huge positive into a, a discouraging setback. Uh, that's one of them. Uh, another problem with um, hiring internally uh, is you can be fighting a lot of cultural resistance. Um, it's a change. People love progress, but they don't like change. And when you're adding a new position uh, of someone else that's going to be telling them or making suggestions on how they should perform their craft and profession, uh, it's a difficult pill to swallow sometimes. Particularly if they already have a personal relationship with that person, um, it can create some interesting group dynamics. Oh, absolutely. I remember when I became a supervisor for the first time, I was moved up off of the shop floor. So all of a sudden the electricians and millwrights I was working with every day, all of a sudden I became their boss. Um, that became, yeah. that was an interesting transition and that type of thing I can see happen as well with REs, even though they might not directly supervise someone, they're changing processes or way things are done and that sort of thing. Um, yeah. God bless you for taking that challenge on. I mean, that was, that was one of the things in the army when, when a soldier made NCO, they moved battalions at a minimum, if not brigades or somewhere completely different, because then they were going to be asked to lead their former friends and so on stuff. And it's it's not unmanageable, but it definitely uh, provides another obstacle or constraint that they have to overcome. 
Yeah, absolutely. Now, what do you think makes the biggest difference in being successful in growing RREs internally? Uh, I, I, I said it, the biggest difference in being successful is having the plan, having that planned out on what it looks like, um, how you're going to nurture these people and develop them into the contributors that you want. Uh, I think that's just essential that having a good management strategy in place that's, that's not just looking at the immediate, like, oh, we need an RE to fulfill this position or uh, carry this initiative, but the, they're looking at the retention and the performance piece, and they're talking about what is this going to look like uh, 5, 10, 15 years down the road, right? What is this person's what is this person right here going to be doing in that amount of time? Are they going to be running a group of other REs? Are they going to be developing new people? Um, it's just endless things that they need to be considered in order for them to be successful. All right. Excellent. Excellent. Have that plan in place. Now, what's the one action you want our listeners to take away from the conversation today? Uh, it would the, the one action, again, I'm, I'm, this is going to be like the fifth time I talked about it, is uh, before you make the decision to create a reliability engineering role uh, to prevent the false starts and the frustration and the gradual change and all that stuff, to be impactful, uh, have a plan, have a vision for it. Like I said, the 5, 10, 15-year plan provide them with the training, like you talked about, the knowledge, skills, and abilities, uh, have the resources available to them, um, and then an action plan for the interim. And then on top of all of it is a really good uh, way to measure performance. So if they know if they're going great, and they also know what their areas to improve are. All right. Yeah, it's, it's all about, it's planning. I can't, can't say enough, that's, that needs to be the biggest thing. And if you're not ready for it, get your ducks in a row, um, and then execute when the time is right. All right. Excellent. Bill, I want to thank you for giving us some insight to this great topic. You know, I'm working with a client right now that is having this very discussion, but substitute RE for ME, uh, maintenance engineer. Uh, and you know, it's been going back and forth advantages, disadvantages. And I think this is a very relevant topic in a lot of organizations. So I truly appreciate the insight and, uh, where can people find out more about you? Where can they get in touch with you? What are you up to? All those other great things. Uh, what am I up to? That's a, that's a good one. Well, if they want to get in touch with me, the best way to do it is through LinkedIn. Um, or they can feel free to send uh, an email to me, which um, you'll be posting, I'm sure, up on the uh, on the, the program notes. Um what have I been up to? Well, we, we had a great year. Those of you who saw me at SMRP, I talked a lot about the United States Coast Guard Academy hockey team. And I'll give you guys an update on that. So we continued with the uh, key performance influencers this year. We made Nash, the national tournament um, for the second year in a row. But sadly, due to the current state of the world, it was canceled. And the boys are going to miss out on the opportunity to um, – skate at in Frisco, Texas against all the other best teams in the nation. That's unfortunate that I know you're working hard with that key performance influencer and the approach with it, it changes your driving. So that's unfortunate. Yeah. So we're just going to, we're going to crown ourselves national champs um, by default. <laughs> and when this is all over, we'll have a parade in new London, Connecticut. Excellent. 
Well, I'll yeah. make sure to put links to all this stuff in the show notes. Um, your LinkedIn, I'll put your email address up there as well so you can get flooded with a bunch of emails. Yeah, uh, please do. Uh, I'll make sure to put up a couple of past episodes because I think we talked about the key performance influencer as well. So I'll make sure to put all that into the show notes so people can easily get a hold of you. All right. Hey, James, thank you very much. It was a lot of fun. Thank you. I would like to thank you for listening and remind you that you can always find out more on maintenance, reliability, and asset management at www.iridicio.com and by following our blog. The Rooted in Reliability podcast is a proud member of the Reliability.fm network. I'd like to ask you to please rate and review this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. It ensures the podcast stays relevant and is easy to find by like-minded professionals. It is only with your ratings and reviews that the Rooted in Reliability podcast can continue to grow. I thank you for providing this small but critical support. We'll see you next week when we dive into another burning topic with Rooted in Reliability, your plant performance podcast.